Old Gold Club. Powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. Official partner of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Mikey. Uh, hello, we may as well make that start to the podcast. Uh, that was Chris Wellerman. <laughs> Sorry, man. I never knew we'd started. <laughs> right, professional. Uh, yeah, we're, we're fine. We're in. Uh, this is the podcast. Uh, welcome along to the old gold club. Um, we have uh, Terry Connor as our guest uh, this week. Yep. Really excited about. Um, I know you've got a lot to talk to him about, but there's kind of two sides to Terry Connor that we're going to try and get into. There's kind of the the assistant coach side that you know him as but also kind of the father figure that he was to the reserves and to the youth team players because i think a lot of people don't realize he was at the club since 1999 that's scary isn't it yeah that is you know i think uh he's definitely put the hours in but coming up through with the young players you have to very much manage them a different way so when you say father figure i understand that but I guess you've got to have a balance when you do come into like a, that first team squad, you know, the, the, the players surrounding that you, you still have to be approachable in that kind of supporting role. Yeah. But also then you've got to have the respect to the players as well. And I kind of authority figure, and that's something I thought uh, uh, TC done very well, you know, uh, well, I, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll ask him a few questions. I'll probably embarrass him today as well. So it's gonna be. Well, uh... yeah, I've got some special messages <laughs> for him as well. Because uh, uh, last week we nearly made Kenny Hibbert cry. I think I've I seen a tear. i definitely seen a little yeah. tear just come down. I nearly went myself, I'll be honest. You know what I mean? <laughs> it got a little bit emotional. I wanted some background music coming in just as uh, at that moment. Well, speaking of Kenny a bit, um, we had loads of messages. I say we read a lot of them out on the podcast last week and loads of them have come in since. Thank you very much for all of them. We are at Wolves on social media and, of course, we are Old Gold Club at wolves.co.uk if you want to email us. Um Wolves AI said, when Kenny Hibbert says, we're going to see something special at Wolves in the next five to ten years, on the Old Gold podcast, Goosebumps is written in capital letters. Uh, Steve Hill, thanks for the Kenny Hibbert interview and his direct approach like his playing. Used to watch Kenny in the reserves at the Mall, circa 1968 plus, top man. P.S. I taught students from all over the world. My Italian students didn't believe that Wolves beat Juventus. I got a whole English lesson out of using the match programme for language learning. <laughs> I love that. Because Walter Zenger used to say that Wolves were massive in Italy. And that was why, because they beat Juventus in the 70s. Yeah. Thanks to Kenny Hibbert and the boys. Um, Jogwolfie uh, says, Great to see King Kenny in such good form. One of Wolves' best and most loyal players ever. I was one of the fans who used to shout Kenny's name from the North Bank and will never forget the UEFA and League Cup finals versus Spurs and Man City. I still travel to most home games, even though I live 600 miles away. Right, well, I got a little message from uh, Andy Gray. Uh, someone yes. that he spoke about and uh, he just basically saying how humble how humble absolute gentleman and what a top top man he was but uh, the, the first message I got was uh, I'll read it out now uh, I trust he gave me a mention with about three <laughs> laughing emojis so and he did so he, he spoke very highly about Andy about how he came in and he was just that leader figure which which the squad needed as well which was perfect and he also spoke of course if people haven't heard the podcast yet about how Andy Gray had a go at him in training and they they were, didn't make it up straight away <laughs> no, yeah, that's a right. he wasn't happy was he <laughs> no. uh, and still sticks with him right now um, if you have any comments as I say old club at wolves.co.uk we are 
at Wolves on social media. We should always give a shout out to our sponsors who make all this possible, Wolverhampton Building Supplies, who are at WV Building Supplies on Twitter as well, if you want to give them a follow and whatnot. Uh, what's your social media? Are you the same social media on everything? Because uh, you've been having a go at me for this recently. Yeah, but your, yours is a bit, yours is very different. Mine's uh, just Chris Iwellamo on Instagram and Chris underscore Iwellamo on Twitter. Okay. Could you not get at Chris Iwellamo on Twitter? I think my cousin in Nigeria took my Twitter name. <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't, he wasn't giving it up. So uh, yeah, he got blocked. Because <laughs> uh, I am at Mikey Burrows on Twitter, which I'm really happy about because uh, Josh, who runs all the cameras on this podcast, who sat over on the other side of the room, he inspired me to do it earlier this year because he runs all the Wolves Twitter accounts. Yep. And he was delighted to get them all the same. And he managed to get somebody else to allow us to have, is it at Wolves Academy? That you got from somebody else? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, brilliant. Um, so I got in contact with a person who had at Mikey Burrows on Twitter because I used to have it before I went to Sky. Sky said that we had to have Sky Sports in our name, so I changed and I and I just <laughs> forgot about it. So when I left Sky and I want, I thought I want it back. It wasn't there, so hence why I had to be at Burrows Mikey for a while. Yeah. And so I contacted this guy, and I contacted him a few years ago. It's all right, the squeaking you're hearing is Yanni setting up the cameras in the background. Um, It's not our chairs or anything. Um, I contacted him a few years ago, and he said he wanted loads of money for it and stuff. And obviously, I'm not going to pay for it. Twitter name. But I contacted him this time around, and he's he's so sick. He's an Arsenal fan. He's so sick of Wolves fans constantly messaging him every weekend. Yeah, yeah, he just gave it me for nothing. That's brilliant. No, yeah. fantastic. So I, I'm now at Mikey Burrows. You've got to do the same on Instagram now, don't you? No, I don't want it on Instagram. My Instagram is different. My Instagram is private. Because uh, I put lots of pictures of the family on there. Yeah, mine's private as well. Yeah, but you're a very public figure. Not anymore. Because I was going to ask you about this, actually. Like, it's, it's kind of that weird thing about being spotted. Because I've seen you, like, even just coming into Molyneux and people winding down their windows in the cars and shouting and... Go, oh, hey, <laughs> what are you doing back here, right? Like, it must be weird because you are a very recognizable figure. Like, I've only found it since we started doing the podcast, really, where like I go to games and people go, all right, Mikey. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know who this person is, but yeah. it's really nice that they know who I am. Yeah. Have you ever found that weird? Yeah, it is. You know, it's, it's, it is bizarre. Uh, and seeing that, there's other spin to it as well. I told you, didn't I? I went, I went on holiday. Uh, and uh, I had some Scottish guys wanting to fight me because they thought I was taking the mickey out of the Scottish accent. <laughs> so, but no, it is. You know, I, I love coming back here, uh, and when you get recognised and you get a bit of banter, uh, that interaction it's, it is it's special. And to be fair, I've I've had enough clubs that <laughs> it's, it, it happens. It happens more often than not. But you know what? I'd rather I'd rather it be that way than. And walking, walking, and no one, no one recognising me. So no, I do, I do enjoy it. It kind of, it's like one of those things, you know. Like obviously, I, I do a bit of work uh, with, with Stoke as well, and Andy Cook, who spent a lot of time away from football, mm. you kind of forget. And when when he comes back into that environment, everyone remembers what he's done for the club, and it's it does it gives them the, the boost that, that that you need sometimes. Well, that was the thing with Kenny Hibbert last week, wasn't yeah. it? Like after the program, because I say we read all these messages from fans and stuff, and after the program, we sat here for probably good hour, hour and a half, like me and Josh just staring at him as he told stories. And he talked about the fact that like, he never knew, because he moved away after we, after we stopped playing here. He never knew. Um, is that TC on messaging you right now? He's just messaged. So I think he's here. I told him oh, to give me a little message. Here. In reception, he is. Oh, yeah, we're going to get someone to go and get him. Um, he never knew 
how deeply like people thought about him and going on his book tour with people coming up to him and introducing him and especially introducing him to like a new generation of fans and saying who he was Mm -hmm. like clearly means an awful lot to him it's clearly touched him in a way that he probably never imagined what 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 i've got to say to that i think we are all we're, we're human beings you know i think when I when I played football, go and talk about Kenny. He was obviously uh, he, he was a he was a legend of the club, but he just got on with business. You know, he, it was football. He loved football. He wasn't in it for the money. You know, it was he, he loved just putting the shirt on and going out there and working his socks off and, like you say, scoring goals and just enjoying the game. And I don't think it really sinks in. Well, it never for me until I retired. And then you think, like, what what's your achievements in that what twenty year career that I had? Yeah. And then when I looked at it, you think, all right. I got promoted five times and you think, what? You know what I mean? You, I went up to Scotland, won the Scottish Cup, went to Wembley, won the LDV vans. You know, it's all these little things that you think, well, I've, I've just got on in my career. I've just went on to the one club to the next, went on, you you, you, you join, your TC's in here, gave me a little wave, come sit down to you. Uh, and it's just one of those things, it's like, it does take over your life, but... It's. Uh, I remember someone saying about the, the birth of the kids. It's the it's the most the big the best moment of their life. Whereas yeah. I remember the birth of my, my my daughters and the do- my daughters are my life. But as soon as as soon as they were born, I'm I'm getting ready for the next game. You know, it's like that that full mindset that you've got to be in. People say it's a sacrifice. It's not. We're, we're very lucky to and privileged to play, to be a professional footballer and and and, and do do what you love doing okay. uh, and getting paid to do it. Yeah. But I just that's something that I, for me and I can only speak for myself. I enjoyed that time with my my my, my daughters and you, you gather, gather that bond. But when they were born, you give them a hug, give them a kiss, training the next day. What's the next game? Yeah. T, how are you? I was like, work that does. It does, yeah. We'll get his. Look at you, eh? Look at you. Just the same. Benjamin Button here, or what? We'll get get Terry's microphone put up in just a second while they shake hands. Um, Just before we get TC involved in some stuff, um, we you mentioned banter a moment or so ago. We try we're trying to get nicknames for ourselves because TC is a great nickname. It's an absolute stellar nickname. Um, I I got nicknamed the other week uh, Digger. So related to my surname Burroughs, so I've started being called Digger. I'm I'm wary that that is also David Davis's nickname, but yes. I'm trying not to steal it too much. We're trying to get some uh, recommendations in for looms. Um, Yanni's going to put up the fader for TC's microphone in a minute, so we can get him on uh, fader three there, Yan, <laughs> to the other side. So you're going to come for me here now? Well, a little bit, maybe. Right, okay. Um, oh. <laughs> so. We've got this one that says, uh, "Well, do you want the ni- do you want the nice one first? Nah, we'll the- finish off with the nice ones. Eh? Just go in, go in hard. Okay. Uh, we've got uh, Andy Smith uh, said that <coughs> my Andy. my other nickname should be Oh No for the cry that I put out on commentary every time Wolves concede. Uh, he says Looms could be Chris the Miss. Oh, that's been done. Or, <laughs> or Tobes for Toblerone boots for his effort against Norway. Yeah, I was offside, but uh, <laughs> he knew. <laughs> yeah. uh, we all knew. Yeah, it was one of those things. Uh, it's, it, what can I say? The, the the lowest and highest moment of my life, my, my career. You know what I mean? It was one of those moments that you can't really. It did really hurt, and that's. I remember yourself and, and Mick mm-hmm, yeah. spoke to both after the match and it was the first place that I wanted to be was, was in the dressing room and that's because you knew that the banter was coming both both uh, TC and uh, and the gaffer had, uh, had, had warned me well just get yourself in because it was I, 
I, was, I remember I told you after the match, I don't know, I went out and I got the, the press officer showed me a little secret door to get out of Hamden. And I was like, what? So I'd done, the, I'd done the press walk, I was there for what, just under two hours, getting asked the same question, giving the yeah. same answer, but it was, I had to do it, you know what I mean? Uh, but it's probably a good thing that I wasn't based on playing football up in Scotland at the time I came down here and I just started, kicked off as normal, didn't back I? Just went work, back yeah. to work, wasn't it? Be fair, I mean, how many of those, even in training, you know, we put the balls in, put the balls in, put you sliding in, you're trying to get the finishing touch, yeah. you just, you know, it's just one of those things, you miss... We miss him in training, don't we? Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, you know, it's just one of the, it's just one of those things, and you had to get back to work when you came back, straight back to work, get on with it. Because Terry, score how, some more goals. <laughs> how did you go? Because were you guys watching that? Was it the game? You were at the game. Yeah, we went to watch Chris. Uh, we'd worked hard with Chris, haven't we? You yeah. Know, in terms of you know work we did in the training pitch and that, and then he got the recognition to play for Scotland, and we thought it was only right that we should go and watch the watch the game and and watch him play. Wow. That's really nice. As you know, what that's that's what I mean. You know, obviously, I got I, I spoke to Mick McCarthy through the through the summer, uh, and I was surprised because I I was only player at Charlton to be involved in every game, but it, they'd, they'd offered a defender, or they wanted a defender, and offered me, uh, and I wanted to come back to to the Midlands. Uh, and me and Mick spoke through the summer, and uh, it it came about. And like you say, it was from the minute I walked in, you knew, and I I I never knew T that you just. You just came up yourself. Yeah, so that's yeah, all. We'll, got, yeah. we'll talk about we'll talk about that a little bit later because yeah. it's it's quite interesting when I think when I when I it's about relationships. You know, like you come into a new club and your relationships with players, but even as a staff member, relationship with between the staff is just as important, if not Absolutely. more so. You know, so I think uh, it's definitely something. But yeah, I got I got they worked on me. You know, I was an experienced pro, of course, but still, you never you never stop learning. You know, and it's all about the the man management, the coaching methods, and uh, it did it got opened that door for me internationally, and it came it came late on, but it came. Yeah. Okay, I've got um, two more uh, recommendations for your nickname before we I get hope that into was the, the worst main one you got the way. Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> oh. I mean, Paul Mills says that you should be called the Panther. Oh, the Panther sounds tremendous. It does. <laughs> it does. It sounds. I mean, it, sounds to... it sounds great. Is he gave a reason for it? That's going to just kind of deflate me, or no, no, no. It's just it's that's all he said. Just the panther. I don't mind that. I don't mind that. I might just change it. Like, well, no, no, just call me the panther for today, please. Well, no looms, all right. Well, wait till you hear the final one. Uh, Danny Ooh. Rosamond says fruity, as in fruit of the loom. He reckons you'll love that. <laughs> fruity. Sorry. See, he doesn't yeah, like but it. it's. Uh, I think. Yeah. Okay. It's fruit, yeah, it's, I like it. I like it where he's came from. But so I, you're it's, gonna not, go, it's not really sticking with me like the Panther is. That's yeah, kind of that's, that's kind of doing yeah. it for me. That's a nickname on a nickname, isn't it? Because your nickname's Looms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they put the spin on the yeah on the Looms, fruity on the Looms. <laughs> so do you want to be fruity or do you want to be the Panther? Panther just just really. call me Panther, mate. Call me Panther. Just Panther, just not Panther. the Panther. No, just Panther. That's it. I'm happy with that. Okay, so it's Digger, Panther and TC. Always. Yeah. You know what? Even, even writing, like we've been obviously texting and I can't even write, I couldn't write mate. I have to. I just. It's the same way yeah, with yeah. Mick McCarthy. It's always gaffer. Yeah. You know what I mean. But he always signs off gaffer as well. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things. It's every manager I've had. I can't call them. It's gaffer, isn't it? It's that yeah. respect thing, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. 
very much. So I'm doing the same. I do the same with him now. And he goes, TC, we don't work. You know, we're not working. <laughs> yeah. I go, I know, but Gaffer, it's always going to be Gaffer. Yeah, and no matter what he but says, it's you, like, TC, I can't see, I can't see, mate, like with deals and things. No, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Right, mate, no. But it's just one it's, of those, it's, yeah, it's different, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. But do you know, that, that's the really weird thing about it. Because, I mean, we're going to talk a lot about it, obviously, later on in the programme about when you became manager. But like, I'd kind of seen you around the training ground and it was always that you were referred to as TC. But when you became manager, like, I felt like I couldn't, so when we did interviews, yeah. I had to kind of say Terry because it, yeah. it felt like disrespectful to a manager. Does that make it's, sense? It does, and I'm sure that it's really hard when you when you go from when you have a nickname or you have a role, and then it changes within the that role changes within the club. It's really hard then to 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 not use the nickname. So I was cool because uh, it, it was to the end of the season. Um, so I was cool with the, the lads I'd, I'd grown up with for yeah. three, four, five years. So. They were never going to start calling me boss, or get, they'd be laughing, wouldn't they? If they tried to call call me that. So TC was was what it was, and they said, "What do you want to call? It's got it's got to be TC, otherwise it looks like I've changed." And put, <laughs> I got put airs and graces on myself, was, uh, which I never would. It was uh, Billy Davis, I think, at Preston when he, he went from that position to manager, might, and yeah. he find the players if they called if they them call him, the nickname. Yeah. It was basically had yeah. to be gaffer, boss, yeah. whatever it was. So he, he made a wee bit of money in the, in the process <laughs> as well. All fines to him, was it? All yeah, fines to Billy. Yeah, yeah. Staff mate, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> um, so if you have any other suggestions for nicknames for us, oldgoldclub at wolves.co.uk is our email address. We're at wolves across social media as well. Please do keep them coming in any of the comments that you have about the programme as well. The show is coming next. Wolverhampton Building Supplies is a one-stop shop for all your building and DIY products. Whether you're a professional builder or just looking to put a shelf up at home, they'll supply you with everything you need on time and at the best possible price, and they even do next day delivery. Best of all, their prices include VAT, so there's no awkward surprises at the checkout. So contact their dedicated trade counter team either at the yard at 372 Bilston Road, Wolverhampton or online at wolverhamptonbuildingsupplies.co.uk or just give them a call on 01902 500140. Welcome along to the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows. Alongside me, Chris Willemo. Our guest this week is a man who dedicated... 13 years of his life to the club, coaching at almost every level. Delighted to welcome Terry Connor or TC. Thank you, TC. much better know. There's so much that obviously we want to get into with you. And I know Looms has a lot he wants to say about your time as assistant manager because you kind of arrived into your respective roles at the same time. But before we get into that, I wanted to, you to take me right back to the start because I don't think a lot of people realise actually how long you were at the club and the roles that you did so it was 1999 you're doing when, homework yes <laughs> I, I'm that sad to see that yeah. I'll go through these things that you Last first century. that you first came in what was it about Wolves that drew you in and who drew you in uh, it was actually Colin Lee who was manager in 1999 with my um, assistant was John Ward who had actually worked with at Bristol Rovers and Bristol City um, so we'd worked together for about five years, five, six years at, at both Bristol clubs. And John had moved on to assist uh, Colin Lee here. And um, in that summer, when Colin got the job, they were looking for a third coach, a development coach, to try and bring 
the young talent, try and bring them through and get them, bridge that gap between youth football and first team football. And John recommended me for the for the challenge, so um, that's how I that's how I arrived in '99. How how did you find that? You know, with the the youth coaching the youth compared to like you say a, a pro player, like a top pro. Um, because you have to manage them differently, don't you? Uh, yes and no. Yes, yes and no. Right, yeah. Yes and no. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah, youth youth players you, you deal with totally differently, and you probably when you're coaching them, it, it's more about guiding them to you know to get to what you want. So you want them to understand something. So you're having to guide them. So what do you think, and how do you do that, and why do you think I'm asking you to do that, and why? And they come up with the answers. Then you can you can coach them and take time to develop them. Uh, with senior players, you want to do the same. But you have to show that you are in charge of the whole group and you are trying to get the team to improve, not necessarily just that one player. You're getting the team to, to try and, and, uh, and be better. So there's, it's the same because you want to give people knowledge, you want to give players yeah. the knowledge. But sometimes you, you are more in what I would say command type mode rather than like a discovery type, well, come on, let's let's talk about this. It's sometimes, Chris, I just want you to do that because that's going to make the team better. And when, you, when you're dealing with the senior pros, I think they understand that if you're asked to do something, try and do it to the best of your ability. If you get to understand, that's even better. Because one of the things we thought about is that almost, do you have to be a bit of a father figure? And does that then, did that then shape how you were as an assistant manager? Um, yeah, I think you're a father figure, whatever... Well, yeah, wherever you're coaching and whoever you're coaching, um, I mean, I look at it, it's almost like being a psychologist. You have to be so many different things when you're dealing with the players because every player is different and, and the way that they learn, the way that they you can speak to them, the way that you approach them will be different. And it's trying to find the right tone, the right balance for each individual player before you can deal with the whole team. So I think... Uh, players start to understand you as a character once you've dealt with that one player one-on-one -on -one, and then you put them into the squad and into the team and when you talk to the team he's going oh I know what he meant when he spoke to me individually he wanted me to link in with this and link in with that and I think that's when you get the understanding between the players and, and the players understand the coaches better the, the, there's, a, there's a big onus well probably not on going out and, and winning games <clears throat> as, as you're coaching young players it's about them improving individually and collective. I don't, I don't quite agree with that myself because I think you have okay. to have that winning mentality. But I'm just, I'm, so I'm speaking as a player here, so I'm talking to you as a coach. When you go down, your 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 job is to basically improve these players, to see potential in them, to actually make it better, to make them better. But then you want them to go out and play these other games. Surely there, there has to be a big onus on doing whatever it takes to win that game. As without, well, without without question. Um, of course, you're trying to develop players and, it, and there's a crossover where you're developing and sometimes you put a session on and, and the players will say, well, I wouldn't do that normally in the game. And I would say, yeah, I know that. But in this training session, I want you to try and develop something. So when we take it into the game, you have to make that choice between whether you do it or not. So you're, you're trying to get them to, to understand what it takes to do something and then when to do it when they're playing the, in the game. Yeah. So you give them everything and you say, well, would you use that? Would you do it there in the game? And they go, well, no, I wouldn't possibly. Well, would you do it in this part of the pitch then? Yes, I would. Yeah. Okay, well, that's when I want you to do it. And, and they start to understand what makes them win 
but you've developed their talents because you've asked them to do things in training which tries to make them better. Yeah, because you brought through uh, almost a, you know, I don't want to quite say golden generation, but there was some amazing talents. Yeah, that- and, and I think that's what uh, the club must have recognised. I think they they recognised that um, a lot of those players that they brought into the club uh, were good at youth level. And they, I think that year that I came, they won the Midlands Cup, they won something else, they won the league. They had three or four trophies. And my question was, well, what are they going to do with that? So I was saying to people like Jolien and Keith Andrews and, and those boys, OK, so you, you won some trophies. But what are you going to do? Are you going to have a career? What are you going to do with it? And it was my job when I came, I quickly realised that they had talented players here, but they needed to understand the bridge between winning things at youth level and doing things at youth level, which you'd never, you'd never get away with when you go into senior football. You never get away with it in the dressing room and you'd never get away with it out on the pitch. So it was trying to get them to understand that they've reached a good level, but the level they want to get to, you've got, you've got to do You've got to do a massive jump to get there. It's a lot of it about discipline. Because Looms has been telling me stories that you could go on a training ground. <laughs> the, smell, the smell says it all. <laughs> so, uh, big part. Big part. Discipline's a big part of it. And uh, doing things right. Doing things the right way, the right time. In training, because what you're doing, training, is, is generally what you transfer into games. So... If you let them get away with things and they're late for work and they're late onto the training pitch, uh, you're doing something on the training pitch and they're sloppy with it, not doing it right, that's never going to work for anyone. So me as a coach, I always used to jump in, tell them that that's not what I'm looking for. That's not going to make us better. That's not going to make the individual better. And it's certainly not going to help the team get better. So when we're on the training pitch, we work like we would work on a Saturday. And that way um, we, we manage to get results from, from the players. Sorry, you said a couple of names there, you know, uh, Keith Andrews, you know, Julian mm-hmm. Lescott, things like that. So you go in and you can see that the quality, they have the potential to go. So it's, it is down to you that they realise very quickly that they have to do everything in their power. You set little incentives for them. And I think as a as a coach, you have to do that. Yeah. But there's good players that don't have that mindset as well, that you, it, it can be difficult for you, like that ego yes. as well, that you've got to handle. You've got to handle a lot of things. Yeah. Um, some some players you quickly realise. Um, there were lots of other players. I mean, those two were the those two were the star ones, if you like, or the ones that I thought those two definitely got something about them, which will take them uh, further in, in the game. But there were others um, that played maybe at League One, League Two, uh, top of the uh, conference at the time, when I had them here, but it was my job to develop them to play it though. I said, not all of you can play for Wolves in the first team, not all of you are going to get through, yeah. but you can certainly be as good as you can be. So if it's Championship or League One or League Two, you should make the most of that because it's a fantastic career to have. So it wasn't necessarily just Keith and, and uh, Jolien that came through. There were lots of others that played and had careers and I still speak to them now, they still text them now and they're playing around the lower leagues or now working and coaching and said, those lessons that you gave us way back then stand them in good stead because they had a career. They had a career in football and now they're going on and saying the same things that I was saying to them, they're saying to young players now. Yeah. Um should say, by the way, for those who are listening to the podcast, the noise you can hear in the background is the rain that is absolutely pouring down at Molyneux. Those who are watching on Facebook can see it to us in the background. I mean, welcome back to you. Yes. Blimey. This was, this was it. 
Um, one of the things, because I've been talking to, you know, I talked to a lot of the people that, you know, were in that kind of age groups that you helped bring through. And one story that one person told me said that even, see, he's smiling already, um, even in the gym that you would say to players, like, don't do 10 reps of something, do 12, because everybody does 10. So if you do 10, you're the same as everyone. If you do more, you're better. Is that that was your mindset. It was, that type, it was that type of mentality. Yeah, I used it when I was a when I was a young kid growing up, and that that if someone did ten, if I could do a little bit more, then that should make me better. It's a simple mindset to have. Um, but what I would say well, in the gym sometimes when it gets tough and you have to do ten reps, some players will do eight and then say I can't do any more. That's that's me done. So what I was trying to say to them was if if you can do more than what the task is. You, you'll always improve, you'll always get better. And and that's what I try to, to instill in them, was that never leave yourself short, never do eight or nine and think that'll do. Get to 10. And if you can do 10 and do 11 and 12, do it. Do it, because that will be your advantage over the, 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 the teammate next to you. So when I said 10, yeah, most of them would try and do 12. And if I said be there at 10, they would try and get there at five, two and start doing something uh, before the actual session started because they knew that it was giving them or they thought it was giving them that, that little bit more than the others. And it's that kind of mentality that drives people forwards, isn't it? No, of course. You know, I think uh, if if we can get away with something, we, we always will. Yeah. So I think if, like you say, if a, a coach or the manager can see that and they they don't allow you to do it, you know, we've, we've all got it in the bank to carry on and do that extra one, but we never we never want to, you know, if we go out and do the, 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 mm-hmm. the finishing practice after training, a couple of shots in, but you should be out there, you know, and like you say, TC, then, and to be fair, I've had a, a few good coaches through the years that never allowed you to go in, because like, if I'm, on, if I'm on a good vein of form, you get a couple of goals, you just want to go in, and, 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 and but there's, there is players that have that in them that they're out there till, like Carl Henry. Yeah. 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 You had to tell him to come in. Come in, yeah. You had to tell yeah. him every day to come in. That's enough. Because that was just, he just loved being out yeah. there. You know, yeah. and it's just one of those, come on, Carl, let's go. Let's get, get in now. But it was one of them. That was the same with, you know, other people like Matt Jarvis, who uh, yeah. who came from Gillingham and, uh, you know, played in, played here. And he actually went on and got an England cap. Same. A like, bit yeah. like you got Scottish cap yeah. and stuff and that. Just just by doing them extra bits. Yeah. By doing his, finishing his crossing off. And even when he was playing well, you know, I'd say to him, where are you going? And, oh, I'm going... <laughs> come on, yeah, come on! Yeah. We've got ten, fifteen minutes that we can do this, and we would just do another set, another set, another set until um, you know, until you made him. He felt he was getting better and better. He could cross off his right, he could go on his left and cross. So it made it easier for the for the boys in the middle to know that he could he could deliver that ball where he wanted. But it wasn't by luck; it was by working out on the training pitch that he did it. So after nearly a decade of bringing through young talents and helping to bridge that gap to the first team. Mick arrives, and Mick had been there, I think, a year. Yes, he'd been there with Ian Evans. Was his was his assistant when they came from Sunderland? Yeah. So, at what point does Mick say to you, "Come on, TC, come and be my right hand man"? Uh, It was actually uh, Ian had um, he'd been away with Mick, and he'd always been his assistant since I think it was I think it's ninety two. So they'd worked together and they played together for a long time. Played up at Barnsley and Millwall and stuff. So. they knew each other pretty well and they'd done a lot of work together and I think Ian was just wanting to be nearer home and be home a little bit more than than what them obviously working full time in particularly in Wolverhampton could do so um, he said that he would like to take a back seat and maybe do a little bit more 
uh, scouting work than actual uh, being on the training pitch. And at that time, I'd worked with Mick for a year as the, like the third coach, you know, doing doing what I what I did. And obviously, he'd been watching that. And uh, he just he just came called me in one day, and you know, and you think, oh, what have I done now? I've done something. <laughs> I've done something wrong, and he's not happy. Gaffer's not going to be happy with me. And he just called me and told me to sit down. He said, look, Taft's uh, leaving. He's gonna he's gonna do a different role for me, um, and I'd like you to to take over as assistant manager. And that was the first time in my career at uh, at Wolves that someone had actually recognised the job that I'd done, or I felt they'd rewarded me for the job that I'd done. Um, when we got promoted in 2003, I was actually Dave Jones' right hand man because John had had a hip operation. Uh, John Ward had a hip op operation, and um, I never really felt that I got the recognition that I deserved for that promotion. Not in terms of what I did, but I was never actually given the role or the title, yeah. although I'd actually done the, the role. So I think Mick had seen all that and sort of understood all that and felt I was probably ready to, to be you know, a proper assistant. And he gave me the title and in many ways gave me the authority to change from being the development coach into a full-blooded, no, you are dealing with first-team players. That's all you deal with. You are my right hand man. That's what you're going. That's the job that you. I want you to fulfil. And he was the first person to really say that to me, and give me the title to go with that. So after, so after that experience uh, in 2003, you, you're ready for it. You, you loved every minute of it. You want to get back in. Was that a little bit disheartening then? Was that, was that hard yeah. then for that what four and a half years to? No, because things. I, I always. I'm great believe things happen for a reason. So you, you do them extra two burpees or the extra two yeah. uh, bits in the gym and you do the extra run and you reach the line for a reason and it might never it might not manifest itself but just because you did it that time that it's going to you're going to get the reward for it in the very next game so yeah, but it brought success didn't it you, it, you it came did. in you, you, you've done, you done your job yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, you yeah. took the mantle and uh, yeah and, but that's it it wasn't my that wasn't my decision you see what I mean that would that would be down to the manager at the time and uh, I worked under Colin as a development coach, yeah. I worked under Dave in a different role, and we got success and got to the Premier League. Um, under under Glenn, I did a different role again. So all I'm all I'm saying is that I did different things, which made me ready. But it didn't mean that I was going to get uh, the rewards just because I did those extra bits at that time. So if it's taken for till 2007 for Mick to give me an opportunity and give me the chance to be the assistant manager. Then that's all. That's that previous work. That's what it was for. Yeah. You know, if I'd stopped and thought, well, I, I didn't, I didn't get it. So that's me. I'm. I won't do it. I won't do the extra bits. I won't take the players. I won't do which, it. Which you could. Which you could easily do. Yeah, yeah. But that's not me. That's doing the extra bits. Yeah. And it happens for a reason. If you stop, it will never happen. Mm -hmm. If you continue to do the the best that well, you exactly. can do, eventually something drops for you. And so, it was it took Mick, I think, to do that for me at, at Wolves. So obviously Mick McCarthy come in in for a year. How much dialogue was there between you in that period? Because obviously it's it's we, we spoke about it earlier about the relationship between staff, assistant manager, relationship between players. How was that relationship when you sat in front of him thinking, oh, what have I done now? And oh, he said, yeah, yeah. So there must have been a relationship there because I know Mick anyway. He, the guy that he talks to everyone, yeah, doesn't yeah. he? He's open we and honest. A, we had a great, we had a great. The three of us did the did the work, did the coaching. Um, there, there wasn't a, a massive squad of players, so mm -hmm. a lot of the development group was used with the first team with Mick and, and Taff anyway. So we were always together and, and the gaffer would say, well, could you do that bit of the session? I'll do this bit and you can finish off with this and that. So 
we were all working uh, together. And I think that's when he probably saw at first hand the value of the work that I was doing with the younger players. And he trusted people to, to come into the team at, at that point. There were players who got their debuts, uh, you know, Wayne Hennessy. They all, all them boys came through yeah. and the gaffer trusted and put them in the team uh, when he thought they, it was right. And it was for the work that we all did together. So... Um, when I say you know what I've done wrong or whatever, it was more like oh, no, what, why, why, you know, why the gaffer called me in the office? I don't yeah. want to be in the office, sort of thing. Um, but he just came in and said, "Look, Taft's, Taft's you know going to be doing something different for me. I've seen you work, and there's no other, there's nobody else I want to work alongside than you." So, and that's what he said. You know, I'm giving you the title, I'm giving you the role. That's what I want you to do. You can almost forget everything else. You will be working solely with the first team and solely uh, trying to make the team. Uh, better alongside him at what point then in that year so you've started working together and of course because you got off to an absolute flyer that season a lot of it thanks to the yeah. man to my right scoring some good goals some bad ones as well but that's another good thing at what point did you think well, this is working We're, we could be on for something here uh not really. I just, I just got my head down. To be honest, I just got my head down and wanted to prove to everybody that I could do the job that Mick wanted me to do. So um, I was just so focused on, on making sure uh, whatever uh, duties I were asked to carry out uh, with the players and what sessions I were meant to do. And if I had to speak to players, you know, I would, I'd be figuring out how to approach them, how to speak to them. When do I do it? Straight after training? Do I have to call them back? Shall I do it in the office? Shall I just walk around the, the perimeter of the pitch with them? So I just fully focused on, can I do my job? And if I do my job well, knowing Mick and getting to know the players as I, as I did, I thought we'd have a chance to do something, at least make the team successful. You're not a, you're not a yes man. So when you come in, uh, Mick McCarthy is also a very strong character. He has his beliefs in how he wants to play football. But so are you. You've, yeah. you've been around Absolutely. the game long. So do, do, do they have to fit? You know, when you sit and like, let's talk football. Think, uh, yeah, the think the principle has to fit, Chris. You know, yeah. um, you have to think along similar lines in how you want the team to play and what type of characters that you want around you and in and around the team. And on that, I think we're pretty similar in terms of we we're both born in Yorkshire. We have both got good Yorkshire value sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, Gaffer's silver haired, six foot two. I'm black. Five foot seven. Yeah, but we thought very similar about the ideas that we wanted. Where we differ is how we deliver that to players, to the staff, and what have you. So, if mix the manager, he'll do it his way, and it was it's my duty then to figure out how I can complement that. And I think that my style, the way that I did things, complemented what the gaffer did. So it was always the same message. I don't think any of the players or any of the staff could think that we were giving no, uh, different not. messages. But it came from it came in a different way. So the philosophy, the the you know the, the way that the things that we stood for are very similar, but how we got them across and how we dealt with people are two totally different ways of doing it. We're going to talk a lot about the promotion because you're both going to have some really interesting memories about that year and about the early Premier League years as well. But just while we're on our Facebook show, we obviously have to talk about you becoming manager and almost that period that led up to it. What was going through your mind? Because things weren't going great for the team that season. Did you have an inkling that it was coming to the end for me? Uh, not, not at all, really. Not at all. Um, 
things weren't going well, but uh, I remember when we got promoted, I think we won something like 27 games. I think it was, drew eight and lost eight or something like that, some, some, some stats like that. So we'd gone from winning 27 games in the championship to get promoted to actually the following year staying up. And everyone, I remember the fans coming on the pitch and uh, at the end of the season when we, when we retained our status in the Premier League. And I think that season we'd won eight or nine. And that represented success. And because it came on the back of the promotion, everyone recognised it as success. Um, moving on, you're trying now to have the financial backing, uh, choosing the right players to, to take you from that level to mid-table in the Premier League and then maybe challenging for top six, top seven uh, later on down, down the line. But we probably got stuck a little bit always in that bottom six. So I think we finished fifth bottom and then fourth bottom and stuff. so we we didn't actually make the strides that we wanted to make as a club but the fact that we were still in the Premier League and I think when Mick left in February mm. I think when he left we were not in the bottom three but it shows how hard it is to stay in, in the Premier League and uh, we were you can't say we were doing fantastic in terms of results and where we were playing but we still had an opportunity to stay in the Premier League for another season. And, and if you ask people with hindsight now, would you have taken that? They probably would say, yes, we would, would have taken one more. So when Mick goes, did you want the job? Did Not you think so. you were going to get it? Um, I could think I can say it now because it's about six years gone by. So, um, But I actually, my, 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 my desk was cleared same time as Mick. Uh, my black bag was done and I was out there with, with Mick um, but they, the club didn't have a successor so um, they asked me to look after it for two days would I just stay for two more days and that two days turned into a week and then that week turned into two weeks I think it was an international break so there was actually two weeks for the next game um, that turned into will you prepare the team for I think it was Newcastle mm. Uh, and, and I think on that Thursday or that Friday morning, they just said, you know, would you take the team? Would you would you take it and would you do it? Um, so at the time of Mick leaving, I was I was due to leave as well. So there was no thoughts about getting the job, but I was due to leave. So how difficult was that? So I'm sure you spoke to the, the gaffer, uh, Mick McCarthy, every day. Yeah, yeah. In that position, okay, I'm, I'm taking it over to... Because, you know, the, respect, you, you, yeah. the respect you've got for him, that, yeah. that must be... Quite a difficult yeah. thing that you've now taken the taken yeah. the reins. Uh, that was that was later on, but at the time he knew and I knew that we'd both been relieved of our duties, yeah. and I was only staying just to make sure there was a handover, official handover to a new manager. Uh, when that didn't take place, it became oh, can you stay for a bit longer? And Gaffer, I've got to stay for another week. And I, oh, so you told him you that. spoke to him? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoke, to, kept him informed every bit and. Even to, even when they asked me to do it to the end of the season, the first person I called was was Mick, just to make sure that he was okay with everything. And he he knew he knew in the build up to it. He knew what had happened from the day that he got sacked. So he knew that um, it wasn't a case of ever me wanting the job or or canvassing no. for the job. It was a matter of having to do something at, at the club until I was told to leave. Really, one of the things that so many people have wanted us to ask you was kind of do you regret taking it no not at all not it made me uh certainly i think it made me a better 
uh, assistant when we worked at Ipswich. Uh, I understood more the, the stuff that uh, managers have to do, which they don't really they they don't really have they don't really get a chance to uh, explain or or they have to keep that within themselves. I was exposed to that, and um, and I think I made better and informed decisions in the last so like six years because of that. Uh, can you experience. tell us some of those little things? Just like, things that, you know, di- uh, di- managing upwards, you know, they call it when yeah. you go on your courses and they say managing upwards, you've got to deal with chief execs, you've got to deal with chairman, you, you might have to do a board meeting and all those things which I never got privy to. I always just come down, oh, Gaffer, you know, can we buy him? Can we do that? I've seen him out and <laughs> yeah. on, I, I, yeah. I fancy him and he's better and all those things that I was, you know, he was saying, you can't do that, we can't do that, we're not going to be able to do that. And I was going, oh, but Gaffer, we could do so much. All those things that he handled but never let it affect his work and our relationship um i was then exposed to so i was asked which player would you would you buy or which player would you sell and all those things that a manager has to go through uh, to do his job daily is so so much more than just going out on the pitch and dealing with the players on a, a between half 10 and you know 2 o'clock or whatever and then players go home and you do you you go home as well it's it's not like that at all you, you know you have to you have to understand that there's uh, chairman that uh, want to understand what go, what's going on, chief exec will come in to you with figures and you know you've got this squad, you, what you're doing about balancing things like that, uh, medical people come and you know tell you their input on players and stuff, so there's lots of things commercial people want to pick piece so lots of things media want to talk to you and you know they want to, what, what do you think of things and stuff and all that I never did any of that, suddenly you, you have to do it and you have to step up and do it so from that point of view it was a fantastic experience yeah. um, I tried my level level best uh, to put things right um, inside the dressing room and and uh, with the team and, and try and get them to 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 do it but I think by that point um, it, you know if if Mick and I couldn't do it I think it was almost impossible to ask me to do it on my own expect to um, to, to be successful that's, that's what I was going to ask I think it's so important that a, a manager and a assistant and the staff let they protect the players from the above, absolutely. But then all of a sudden you're thrown into that. So that that obviously that must have made it very difficult to actually do do your do your job yeah. with the players properly yeah. because uh, you're juggling so much. You're taking it all on yourself. Not so then, much aren't doing you? it, but like you know, we, we talked about about uh, they call you TC or what do they call you? I was cool with them calling me TC because mm-hmm. I was a caretaker manager. So whether I stayed after the, my stint or not, um, why would I want them to start, suddenly start saying, well, you're call me boss and call me this and yeah. call me the gaffer and if you don't call me the gaffer and uh, that's not going to work I'd worked with those players for you know three, four, five seasons um, and uh, I just felt it was best to try and be myself for them so when we went on the training pitch I tried to be exactly the same or I was exactly the same person that I was when Mick was here and then when I finished and they'd gone home that's when I'd, I'd have to then put the other hat on and then try and deal with lots of other things, and and things do change because you know players. I know the players came to me, and when you left them out, which I'd never done before, because I was always the assistant. Um, when I left players out of the team and they're starting eleven, and they come to me and they say, well, "Why am I not playing? I need to play. I've got European Championships to look forward to, or whatever, yep. with my international." And they say, "I want to play," and I'm, so I used to turn and say to them, "Okay, so you want to play in the team because you've got this and that agenda. I just want to play and win. Don't you just want to play and win?" So I, I was I was saying to them, it's okay you talking about things that you want to do. I, we need Wolves 
to win. So yeah. don't tell me about internationals. Don't tell me about your personal thing. What will you do to help the club win some matches and stay in, in the division? So that was always my comeback. But I had to learn all that. Yeah. On the almost on the on the on the job. But having had Mick as a manager, it stood me in good stead. We're going to talk a lot more about that on our podcast extra um, and also kind of what happened after that season and moving forwards as well. And we've got some special messages for you from some of your former players as well to come on the old Gold Club. Uh, But for now, that's it for our Facebook show. Make sure to download the old Gold Club podcast. It'll be available at all the usual places. The Old Gold Club, powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. For the best price locally, head to wolverhamptonbuildingsupplies.co.uk. Okay, so that was the show. Um, Thank you for being really honest. Oh, no worries. In the way you've spoken about that. Because part of the thing that kind of struck me in that time, I was there at that Newcastle game. I I was covering it for local radio at the time. And I wondered whether you thought because it was a good performance mm-hmm. in that game. Had you won that game, do you think things would have been different? That The manner in which it ended up being 2-2 kind of set the tone, maybe? Yeah, um, yeah I think we were two down yeah. by half-time. Um, but one of them was an absolute worldly, and another one, I think, was just an error. I think, of all people, Christoph Berra yeah. didn't clear his lines or something. And uh, they managed to nick the ball off him square and scored. And then I think it was Gutierrez lashed one in from 25, 25 yards. So we're two down, but hadn't played that badly. It just shows you the quality of the Premier League. So at half time, that's what we tried to say to him. Can I take it? Yeah, you can take your headphones off now, yeah. That's what I tried to say to him was, um, do you think you've played badly? Do you think you've played badly and that we deserve to be turned up? No, 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 no. That's a worldly and all that. Well, then. Why don't we just go out and continue to do the same? This is the premiership. You you do get 25 yards into your top corner. And if you make an error, they do punish you. So you know that. We know that. So let's cut out those errors. And let's just try and get back and work our way back into the game. And obviously, you know, you know, I've said it many times, 2-0 is probably the worst scoreline you can have yeah. for when you go. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, is, yeah. Because at 1-0 down, you've got much more chance of getting back to 1-1 than you have at 2 but when it's 2-0, the opposition think, oh, well, we've, we've got this game now, we're going to win. And the next goal is so vital. Yeah. And you get the next one and suddenly it becomes 2-1 and it feels like 2-2. Two, two. It. it feels like, oh, we're, we're level. And we're actually still losing. But the mindset is that we've got back into this game, we can do it, we can get... And sure, sure enough is enough is that we came back and we got the second goal after about 70-odd minutes. And it was us that looked like we could go on and win the game from, from being 2-0 yeah. down just by getting that, that next goal and uh, that's what we said to them at half time and, and like you said I'd heard the gaffer you know we've, we've worked and we've, you know, we've been in situations where we're one down and two down are we going to come back from this and yeah we can we can we know how to do it and, uh, and that's what the players did and that's when I that's when I went and, went, and I, you know, I said to my, my son at the time I said uh, this, this, we can do something these players are still listening they're still yeah. listening yeah because they wouldn't have done that if they if they jacked it in and they weren't going to do anything, and they're down tools because Mick had gone and there was it was a the proverbial it's a shambles this club because <coughs> yeah. we haven't got the new manager in place and all the ones that were supposed to to come and save him had turned it all down or, or not turned up so they're left with the coach if you like as the manager but what they showed that day and they did that to the end of the season we, we might not have won games but we're always competitive just the way we were on, under Mick and it's one of those things if. 
it's, it's funny because if, if Mick had, was working with me, yeah, then I, I think that year we still could have Obviously stayed up. We would never have finished sixth or seventh, but we could have just stayed up. Well, the players not sacking, and that shows the respect that they had for you as well. Yeah. Uh, the respect they've got for yeah. you but you said that then the they would come so you were the bridge between the players and, and, and the gaffer Absolutely. so if they were dropped to say they come to tea what, what can I do what what can I do better this all of a sudden now you're you're the man making the decisions yeah. but you were that bridge so yeah. is that is so the respect was That's, there but the players still came to you saying well I want to play so yes. do you feel that they felt um, that they could make more of a, an argument to uh, you it probably, was, probably they probably felt it, it would be talked out a little bit more. You know, you, you'd be, there'd be more of a conversation because I would never just say, "Well, you're not playing," and and that's it. So I try and tell them like I would do. I mean, I, I can't remember how many times I've saved players from uh, going to see Mick on a <laughs> Monday, or if, you know, when people oh, I'm left out and and what have you, and I say, "Wait till Monday," because over the weekend we haven't even played the game. Sometimes on the, on Friday you're left out and you your head's down a little bit and. Uh, you haven't even played the game, so you don't know whether he's made the right decision or not. And normally by the Monday, either we'd won the game or whatever, and the gaffer could justify by say, well, I picked the right team. And I used to many times save the players from actually knocking on the manager's door and, and having conversations they didn't have to have. They could have it with me and I'd tell, them, I'd tell them honestly if I felt they needed to do more to get in the team, I'd be honest with them. So that I think they felt as if, you know, if if I'm saying it, it's almost the same as as Mick saying going to the office and getting told that well you're not playing because of this this and that. So I used to just challenge him and say, what is it? What do you think? Why do you think you're not playing? Why do you think he's not? Why do you think he's gone with him today rather than you? I go well, he does that a bit better. So well, that's the manager's door. It's, that's why it says Mick McCarthy manager <laughs> on the door, and you guys have numbers on your training kit, and we have initials. That's the difference. And uh, it was getting to for them to understand that. So yes, you're the bridge. And when you become the manager, it's more difficult. But the message is still the same. It's still going to be an honest opinion. And I haven't yet met a coach or a, a manager yet who has actually picked a team because he didn't like a player. He'll pick that even if you don't like him. He'll pick him if he thinks he's the best. Do, yeah. yeah. So I've never I've never known a, a, a manager to leave a player out because he didn't, just didn't like him. Wait, can I ask you then, right? So I I remember Mick he, he dropped me before the the Palace match. You know, I remember like, we're all in the dressing room and you hear the and he'll come in. Doesn't say anything to anyone. He'll just go through to the toilet. But you said there uh, that some so some on some occasions he wouldn't he wouldn't pull you. So he'd come and say looms and you go into his office. This is on the Friday before you go out to training. Yeah. So just to try and get your head right. Is that is that good management from him then because he knows that players need to be so he knows that I'm going to prepare anyway on a Friday night no matter I get told yeah. on the Saturday but some players can lose their head a little bit and yes. is that down to just knowing the players you've got as well yes yes, and and sometimes things dictate when you can tell you know that sometimes we'll have, an, we'll have a clear idea on Thursday what we're going to do and what team we're going to select others we might be waiting for a slight injury Injuries, or some, yeah, yeah. someone to turn up on Friday and say that I'm okay and other times He'll just decide that, you know, no, Saturday, I'm going to tell them all on Saturday all at the same time. So I'll go home, I'll prepare as normal. But in the main, you really want to speak to the players. And if, you, if you're leaving them out and they've been, you know, a, a strong member of your team, I think it's common courtesy. I think it's just like a common decency to pull them to one side and say, listen, I won't be starting with you tomorrow, but you'll be on the bench or whatever. And you can do that. You can do that. Yeah. Or you can just say to them, look, this, just for today... I'm not telling anyone the team, they can all prepare and 
I'll deal with it on Monday morning. Because Kevin Foley said to us in the past that they used to hide from you yeah. on a Friday morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was like, it's not the Grim Reaper. I was probably the Smiling Reaper because <laughs> yeah. I, I find a I find a reason to go and find that player and uh, have to, you know, I go and they'd be talking to me, thinking, no, not now. I go, yeah, could you um. Could you just uh, pop in and see the gap in two, <laughs> yeah. two minutes? And I'd, I'd walk up and get the next player and tell him. So they used to be queuing up and, yeah, they used to go and hide and try and stay out the way. Uh, just so they do, they just wouldn't, you know, wouldn't... Out, they, they knew on a Friday that if I came wandering around, uh, most of the times, having said good morning and, and done things respectfully, that I'd have to be saying, oh, yeah, the gaffer needs two minutes with you. But that's because he respected the players so much that we wouldn't want to go out and train and, and you not know or, or players not know uh, what was in his what was in his mind before we trained, and that did save an, an awful lot of um, what could be conflict on the Friday in your in your preparation. Certainly on Saturday, those players would normally come in with a smile on their face, ready to to support what was going on because they understood that the following week it could easily be them that's in the team, and they'd want the other player to support them. Uh, and then on Monday morning, we came back to work. We hopefully with a good result, we shook hands and we got on with it for the following week. Yeah, I just remember. I remember we played against Birmingham here. Uh, we got the we got the draw. I got marked out the match. It was I was sitting top goal scorer. We go to QPR. I have a not the best game, and uh, like you say that he's came in. He's took me into the office, and I've I've, I've came into the changing room across from the, and uh, he said, uh, "Looms, I'm going with Keo tomorrow." I went, "What? I went, I'm your top goal scorer, gaffer." And he just he turned around and what he said to me he said because uh, Andy Keogh you know he trained the way that he did every, yeah, every single yeah. day he was yes, he was right he up was, there yeah. he says when else can I put him in and what what can what can you answer that and Keogh got a goal the next day yeah. and it was uh, I remember it's like and you come in on the Monday like you say you get your head round it you come in and you want the team to win yeah, it was always it was one of the things but again good good management good man- from yeah, the, good uh, management uh, of not only of you but obviously thinking about the whole, whole of the picture, squad yeah. yeah not not just oh Chris is my top goal scorer so I'm going to either flog him to death or I'm going to play him Saturday Tuesday you, you might have been carrying a slight knock or you know whatever but scoring goals or feeling and he's gone this game is for for Andy and uh, and that's the beauty of management or that's the skill of management I think is, is looking at the whole yeah. picture and dealing with the players in in the right manner. If you deal with them the right manner, I think they always come back to you. If you don't deal with them in the proper manner, that's when you get uh, those little breakaways and and people not really uh, bonding with the rest of the group. Um, bringing it back to what happened when you were manager after the relegation, because I know that hit you quite hard. Mm-hmm. You were very emotional yeah. at the time. Is there a part of you that thought that you maybe should have left? at the end of that because you had that four game period and you? you stayed for pre-season and four games of Stoller's reign mm-hmm. and then left do you think looking back that you needed a clean break and you should have gone then because uh, what made you what made you decide to stay and go back to being assistant well because my contract was never actually broken so although I didn't caretaker or my contract had actually broken so I was still an employee of of Wolverhampton Wanderers, yeah. uh, my role had changed like it had done many times from 1999, um, and I wanted to work for Wolves. I still wanted to work for Wolves. I wanted to uh, be part of repairing the relegation um, and trying to do my bit to put them back where they, everybody felt we wanted to be, which is back in the 
Premier League. So although the new manager came in, it was made clear to me from, from the board downwards that I was to stay and I was to work alongside Stoller and uh, give Stoller every assistance to try and, and uh, win promotion back to the Premier League. And I'd been here for was it 12, 13 years at that point. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, been promoted, had some really good times with the club. And I, I didn't want it to end on, on that note. And I didn't want it to end with me being caretaker manager and that relegation, because no matter what you say, the final game or the game that we were relegated, I would have been in charge. No matter whether Mick had been there for you know four, five years previously, or, or Glenn Hoddle, or it was me, it was me. That was my name that would be linked with that relegation. I wanted the opportunity to try and turn that round. I need to ask you then because you said that you and Mick were from the same principles. So back and came in very very different ideals about football. Was that difficult then? With uh, that, that relationship, Stoller. yeah, with Stoller with the, with the football, the, the, his philosophy, you know, because like you say, you and Mick were like, cut yeah. from the same cloth. Yeah, yeah. Like, when yeah. I, you were given the same I information was, to the players. Yeah. Stoller's came in with very different ideals. Doesn't matter the person he is, no. but that 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 idea of football is is very yeah. important as as a coaching mm-hmm. staff, isn't it? Yeah, um, and I tried to give him, or I did give him as every information that I could about. Uh, life in the championship and what it would take to return Wolves back to uh, the Premier League. Uh, obviously, he had his ideas on playing, and those are any anybody, any coach can come in and say, "I'm going to play in a certain way and do a certain mm-hmm. style." But there's certain things in in that division that you have to do if you want to uh, Im- impose what you want to, how the style that you want to play on the opposition. Yeah. So just having a style of play will not win you matches. It's what you do um, underneath that, which gives you a chance to impose yourself on them. And uh, my my thoughts were, if we did certain things, whatever style you wanted to play, it would give you a better chance of winning games in the championship. So I tried to impose and impart that on him, even though he had his own ideas of how he wanted wanted to play. Yep. How will you look back on your time at the club? How do you view it now? Because even listening to you there talking about it, you you don't want that relegation to be the defining part of 13 years' service. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I take my pleasure from players who, you know, still call and still still text and still, when I see them, still give me a hug and still say, oh, was, we had great times together. We, we did this, we did that. Thank you very much for this. I have a shirt from Matt Jarvis from when he played for England in in my uh, in my room and that and that's that's the sort of things that I take from it you know what Jolien's given Jolien Lescott uh, you know I've got shirt from him um, Matt Murray all the, all the ones Keith Andrews all the ones that have you know keep saying thank you keep saying you know thanks for what you did for me I'm I'm now becoming a coach and I'm saying the same I'm saying the same things that you said to me you know, 15, 20 years ago, which stood me in good stead. It's those things that I want to be remembered for. Um, and certainly uh, for my time here, uh, promotion in 2003 is a big thing, but certainly the, the, the promotion in 2009 was even was even greater because uh, it was done uh, with a group of players that, um, and this is no disrespect to anyone, but we, we found uh, people like Sylvan Ebanks, Blake from Plymouth, we found you, Chris. We found Andy Keogh playing, uh, I think it was at Sheffield, who were in League One or Two at the time. Uh, we found Ke- Kevin Forley 
you know, we, we went and found Christoph Bear up in Scotland. We, we went and found Carl Henry for nothing playing Stoke. And we put all them together with our ideas, with our coaching. And we finally got to where the club wanted to be, which was back in the Premier League. So that's always going to be a big a big moment in my time here at, uh, at Wolves. Well, um, as I say, I've been speaking to a lot of people who worked for you and worked under you and worked with you. Um, I'm going to embarrass you by reading some of these messages. Uh, Tony Daly said, one of the best coaches I've worked with. He's not only dedicated to his job, but to his family also. Working with him was an absolute pleasure, a good friend and confidant, someone I trust implicitly. Dave Edwards, TC, was a huge part of my career. He had a passion to improve players, and I was a massive beneficiary of that. He was the first coach to work with me on an individual basis before and after training. My own game improved so much under his watchful eye. As a coach, he's one of the best, and as a person, he is one of the best. I genuinely cannot speak highly enough of him. He is and will be such an asset to whichever club he's working for. Carl Ikemi, for me personally, he was a great coach. He was demanding, but in a good way. He genuinely wanted you to go on and improve and the passion and energy he put into his sessions was incredible. If you ever had something you wanted to talk to him about, even what's going on in your life, he was always there. He would always give great advice from the heart. I can't talk highly enough of him as a coach, but he's an even better person. That, see, that can't be true because Dave Edwards and Carl Ikemi... <laughs> Them use that them all them words in their life. <laughs> <laughs> I used to get nothing out of uh, Dave. Dave, it's got a nod, and that was it. And I got the same out of Carl. I just keep it out of the net, Carl. Nod. That's all. I never got. I never got all them words. Well, listen. I mean, Julian Lescott sent me a four-minute-long voice note talking about possible. you that I had to edit some of it down. These are the kind of the two from the, kind of the people who knew you the longest. Keith Andrews said TC was a huge part of my career. At a time when I was in between youth team reserve football and trying to break into the first team, he was the one that showed that he cared. He would constantly get us back out on the pitch in the afternoons, even if it was just three or four of us to work on areas of our game. He would recognise at times if we were a little down and disillusioned and make it more light-hearted. But on the flip side of that, he did love getting us running up those steps at Molyneux. I took a lot of what he stood for into my coaching life and beliefs, utmost of respect for the man, and football needs him back in it as it's football losing out. And this is from Jolian. He says, not sure TC is aware how much I appreciate him and the extent that he had an influence on my career. He moulded my mentality from a very early age. He made me think and view things in a way that helped me have the career I did. At first, I didn't quite appreciate it. I used to think, why is he always on my case? His nickname for me was the Chancer. He knew I hated it, but it made me want to correct it and not take chances. He knew the bigger picture, and when I matured into the mindset of what he helped develop, I appreciated him a lot more, and it's a shame that I didn't appreciate him as much when I was working with him. Going back, he was a vital part of my success, more than he probably knows, and even now, the role I'm doing, I'd like to do it the way he did for me. The same philosophies and thought processes. I was speaking with a player the other day, and my first thought was, is that how TC would view it? Wow. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something about Julian. I'll tell you the first day I arrived in 1999, uh, the, the lads set off from the training ground and they went on the run along the canal. And uh, halfway around, I ran with them. And halfway around, uh, I saw him at the side of the. It's 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 sort of like was running and he sort of like started to walk, and he bent over and, and he, he vomited. And I thought, okay, okay. And let me say, I don't know this kid. 
let me see what he does next. And he wiped his mouth off like that. And I said, are you okay, kid? I didn't even know his name. And I said, are you okay? And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can run to the finish run, always. And he started running. We ran together. We ran back and we came back to the training ground. And from that day on, I knew out of all the footballing stuff that you, you, would, you would get, I thought, this player has got a chance of making it. And, and that's, that's when, who's, who's that kid over there? I said, his name's Julian Lescott. He'll play. Because if he can do that, it tells you something about him. It tells you something about his mentality. Forget his skill. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be at Wolves if he, didn't, if he couldn't play. So he had, some, he had ability. But it was that mindset. Something's happened. I could easily have said, oh, I'm not feeling well. I've, I've got to stop. And where's the medical people? But he didn't. He wiped his mouth. Wherever he was feeling, he ran and finished, finished the run. And that told me everything about him. Everything. So, you know, and that, that's... He, you know the chance a bit? <laughs> that was always because I always thought he took a chance when he was defending. So he would he would try and beat someone and try. He wouldn't just play out and, and be a proper defender. He wanted to show he could play football. And I said, if you want to wear number five or number six, you have to be. The whole team is relying on you to give them that solid foundation. If you're one that's taking chances and all that, they don't think they've got a solid platform to work from. And uh, we worked on it, and a couple of times he'd make mistakes, and I go, that's what I'm talking about, that's what I'm talking about, and that's what he didn't like about me calling him the chancer. And he eradicated that from his game, and when he played out here, he played for it, got moved to Everton, and then on to Man City. And uh, whenever, he, whenever he spoke, I always tried to give him honest, truthful feedback, never tried to give him anything, never tried to praise him when he didn't need praising, just give him this honest feedback, that's what I think of what, what I saw out there. And he learnt from it, just as Keith Andrews and those lads did. And that's all I was asking from, do your best. Be the best you can be and change your diet. Keith did the same. Uh, Jordan, they changed their diets, they changed what they did uh, to improve. And they made the most of their abilities and went on to play for their respective countries. Um, let's finish with some fun. We do this thing called the rundown. So fairly quick, uh, we're going to ask you a series of questions First name that comes into your head on this. First name? Yeah. Just oh, quick okay. So, uh, first one, best player that you worked with at Wolves? I know this is a tough one to try and answer. Really, really, really tough. Possibly in the your head. <laughs> well, I mean, don't just say Looms because he's here. There's a lot of work on a training pitch. That's, for that's, that's, that's the next question. Can I just say that's always a difficult way being able to say who's the best player you've worked with? And it's it's the it's the players that make the most of their ability. Not everyone has got the best talent, but it's making the most of your talent, which which, which drives me. So everyone's got talent. It's making the most of that talent. So if the if the most talented player that I saw wasn't making the most of it, then I wouldn't call him the most talented player. It's the one that takes what he's got, the ability that he's got, and makes it work. That's what I think is a talented player. Not someone who can juggle the ball or do something fantastic all the time. If he's not doing it and not doing it for his team, I can't call him a talented player. This is a quick fire. Sorry. Run down. Okay. <laughs> Best player? Best player. Jolien. Worst trainer at the club? Sylvani Banks Blake. <laughs> Biggest moaner? Sylvani Banks Blake. <laughs> Who's your best friend in football? Well, my wife, because she stuck up with me for all these years. She stuck by me all these years. Apart from? Apart from my wife. Uh, Mick. 
Um, who had the best and worst dress sense? Uh, Looms had the best. I'll take it. I'll take that. Well done, T. Uh, worst dressed. Well, we wore we wore club suits, didn't we? A lot of the times. Oh, cheers. <laughs> no, we, no, we did though, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Who was worst dressed. Who was the funniest player you worked with? Funniest. At Wolves. Yeah. Steve Sedgley. What was it about Steve Sedgley? Can you say anything that he did? He was a funny man. He, he would he would do impressions right in the middle of your sessions. He'd take, <laughs> he'd take somebody else off. It's that he, he he just did weird, wacky things, and you just you had to stop and just go. Let him get, let him finish, let him finish, because no one's going to listen to me <laughs> whilst he's doing an impression of somebody else and, and you know making jokes and changing pictures. So he's just, just wait for him to finish. And say, Have you done right? Okay, we'll continue. Um, best manager that you worked for, Mick. I think we knew that. Looms. Uh, you lost where we are, aren't you? Yeah. What was the best game you were involved in? I don't know when it was, but it, it would be promotion with Wolves, 2009. Yep. So whenever we clinched that. Because I was going to say, what was your proudest moment at Wolves? Uh, probably that day. Probably that day. There, there's been a few because that was the that was to get. Uh, the team to the Premier League, but the second year we lost the game three two against Blackburn, the final game of the season. But we scored the second goal, and that kept us in the division for another year. And I remember at halftime saying to, we were three 0 down. I remember saying to the, the the lads when the gaffer asked me to speak, and I said we don't need to win this game, we just need to score another goal. That's all we need to do. And with the, I think it was about six minutes to go, we scored. And we stayed in the Premier League, and I, I remember that thinking, maybe, maybe that, you know, just just made made us stay in the division because everyone was thinking, how are we going to win this game? So we don't have to win it; we just got to score another two goals. If we score two goals, we can lose the game three two, but we would stay in the Premier League, and that's what we did. Listen, it's been absolutely brilliant to Thank have you, you in. Thank you. Really interesting. There is a load more that we could probably talk about as well, but we'd be here all day. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Speaking Thanks, to us. Thank you. Terry Connor Cheers. on the Old Gold Club. The Old Gold Club. Powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. Official partner of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Thanks for downloading the Old Gold Club podcast. For more great content, check out rules.co.uk or follow at rules on social media. Oh, and by the way, please support us by rating and reviewing our podcast on iTunes and Spotify.